Hello, everybody. It's April 4th. This is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to serve as your guide. I want to say to those of you who've been with us from day one, that is January 1st, and reading through the Bible, congratulations. You've now read through more than a quarter of the entire Bible, the book of books. Some people read the Bible randomly, searching for promises, principles, themes, and stories. And you know, the Bible does contain these, but the Bible is not first and foremost a book of promises to claim and principles to live by. It's the story of God's plan of redemption, and it is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a declaration of what God has done for us in him. The immeasurable gift of God's saving work, including his life-transforming grace, is offered to everybody, and it can be experienced when God opens the eyes of our heart's understanding to see and believe. Jesus said that all the scriptures testify of him in John chapter 5, verse 39 and verse 40. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms speak of the work that he came to fulfill in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. The Bible makes us wise to God's plan of salvation in 2 Timothy 3.15. You are blessed if you take that wisdom to heart. The apostles preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. That was the only Bible that they had at the time. The Holy Spirit helped them see the many prophetic pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. Dane Ortland writes that the Bible's theology is the historically rooted good news about the grace of God through the Son of God for the people of God to the glory of God. Quote, a biblical theology lens trains us to place any given passage in the sweep of the single story. This way of reading the Bible gladly acknowledges the various genres of Scripture, narrative, poetry, prophecy, letters. Yet while the Bible is not uniform, it is unified. End quote. As we approach the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we need to recall Jesus' words. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. John chapter 5, verse 46. So today we're going to continue reading from the book of Deuteronomy, beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. And once again I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand, and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, 
Now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you, to you and your house, you and the Levite, and the sojourner who is among you. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us, as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in His ways, and keep His statutes and His commandments and His rules, and will obey His voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession, as He promised you, and that you are to keep all His commandments, and that He will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that He has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as He promised. Chapter 27 the altar on Mount Ebal. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings, and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, 
Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. So let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we read. We read about the blessings of obedience and the curses upon the disobedient in the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant. The blessing and curse motif of Deuteronomy powerfully informs our understanding of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, Moses and the elders of Israel tell the people to build large monuments of stone coated with lime upon which they are to write all the words of the law. The stone shall be set up at Mount Ebal. They are also to build an altar there. No tool shall be used to make the altar as it represents the work of God and not the work of men. We learn this in chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. The people of God have both a law and an altar in the promised land. The law spells out the righteousness that God requires. The altar spells out the righteousness that God offers. The demands of holy law can only be met in the righteous living of Christ, who shed his blood as a perfect offering on the altar of the cross on our behalf. The law brings to light our disobedience, which can only bring a curse. The altar brings to light Christ's obedience offered for us, which is the only means of bringing a blessing. Moses charges the people to have the blessings of the law proclaimed with a loud voice by the Levites from the top of Mount Gerizim, where the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin are assembled. The curses of the law will be proclaimed by Levites from the top of Mount Ebal, where Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali are assembled. The curse of God came upon the earth and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 as a result of the disobedience of the first man, Adam. Remember, male and female, they were joined as one. The promise given to Abraham was a blessing made available by faith, the reversal of that curse through his seed, Jesus Christ, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. That seed would be the source of blessing to all the nations of the earth. 
God's promise is to bring the blessing of being counted as righteous to all who believe the gospel. The promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, who is also the promised seed of Abraham in Galatians 3.16, is Jesus Christ. He lived without sin, fulfilling the descriptive requirements for inheriting the blessing of eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, John chapter 8, verse 46. The promise of the Holy Spirit is one on our behalf through the obedience of Christ. He offers His perfect life on the altar. The curse motif is used by the Apostle Paul to demonstrate how Jesus' death on the cross provides a full atonement for our sins. This is the only way that a blessing can be imputed to us. The curses are pronounced in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 15 through 26. The summary curse is that of transgressing the law. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Jesus had to become an incarnation of the divine curse on the cross in order to bring us the divine blessing. The sins of Adam's race are imputed to Jesus. He takes the wrath of divine justice against sin upon himself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. In Galatians 3, we read in verses 10 and 11, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul is referring to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 to 23. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. A person is not cursed because they are hanging on a tree. The person was put in that position of publicly hanging on a tree because they were accursed of God. People were to be reminded that the curse is the judgment of the law upon the sin of disobedience. Under the law of God, the just punishment for our sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 The public exposure of the law's judgment upon sin served to expiate the guilt of sin from the land, warning society of the wages of sin. This display of judgment upon sin is similar to what we saw in Numbers chapter 21 when Moses lifted up the brazen serpent upon the pole, prefiguring Christ being raised up on the cross as our atoning sacrifice. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. 
It is a picture of the demands of the law being satisfied. The sinner is accursed of God. Full justice is enacted upon the guilty. The removal of the body of the sinner was a picture of sin being put away and the curse being removed in order that the blessing upon obedience provided by another, the seed of Abraham, might be received as an inheritance. We read about the offering of our first fruits in Deuteronomy chapter 26. The laws of the first fruits offering that is to be implemented when the children of Israel come into the land. They are to bring before the Lord the first of the produce that the Lord blesses them with and present it as an offering, not the dregs, not the leftovers. They are to bring the first and the best. As they bring the offering, they are to acknowledge their history. Their fathers were once not a people. They went down to Egypt, and God miraculously answered their prayers. In delivering them from Egypt, He made them a great and privileged nation. They were to confess that it was the Lord who brought them into the land and blessed them with fruit. That blessing would be made evident to all to the praise of the glory of God's grace. The giving of the believer should reflect that we acknowledge God as our resource. The Lord gives us all that He is and all that He has. He gives us the added joy of being able to give back to Him and to give to others. May the Lord be glorified in our fruitfulness and our willingness to honor Him as the giver of every good and perfect gift. James chapter 1, verse 17. May our fruitfulness be evident to all to the praise of the glory of His grace. Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And now let's go from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38 through chapter 11, verse 13. We read about Mary and Martha. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to come help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Chapter 11 We come to what is often called the Lord's Prayer, but is actually the Lord's teaching the disciples how to pray and giving them an outline. So starting with verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you, who has a friend, will go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the end of our reading from the New Testament. Now let's take a few moments to reflect. We started with a picture of the disciples' position, the posture of learning, in the story of Mary and Martha. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. This expression is used to depict the posture of learning. Jesus welcomed female disciples. He encouraged them to hear and heed his words. In giving his testimony, the Apostle Paul describes his relationship to his teacher, the famed rabbi Gamaliel. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. The phrase is translated as being educated under. Jesus brings education wherever he goes. Mary took advantage of the education that Jesus was offering to her. Martha, equally fond of Jesus, was missing the purpose of the visit, the opportunity to receive instruction from Jesus. She was serving Jesus, but missing out on moments when she could have truly honored his presence by sitting at his feet. Much good is to be said of Martha. She welcomed Jesus into her home. She provided him with hospitality, but she got distracted by the details of the occasion and lost sight of the big picture. The project became more important than the overarching purpose. She pitied herself and resented Mary for not helping her with the preparations. Preparations for what? But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Luke 10, verses 41 to 42. Only one thing is necessary. There is only one priority we are to have in life. It is to choose that which shall not be taken away from us. That which endures forever are the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. We are not to let them pass by us. Let's check our priorities. We may be on our feet in the kitchen, but let us abide in a position of being humbly instructed by His Word. Let us give Him our focused attention. Jesus gave us instructions for prayer. We are to submit ourselves to the Father as His children. We do not say, My Father. We are not placed in God's family in our own right. J.I. Packer sums up the Gospel in three words, Adoption by Propitiation. We can only be placed as rightful family members through the work of God's Son, who turns away God's anger and satisfies God's just demands towards the sinner. He does this through His sacrificial atoning death on the cross. We can only come boldly to the throne as sons and daughters of God by the adoption and access given to us by our brother Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, and 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. We come before Him mindful also that we are members of a family, and therefore we begin to pray, saying, Our Father. Our minds are renewed as we honor His self-revelation, 
the holiness of his nature reflected in his name. We are ready to receive our marching orders and cooperate with his kingdom agenda. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We bring him our petitions, knowing that he is the one who feeds us and sustains us. Give us this day our daily bread. Regular prayer helps us keep short accounts, whereby we can confess our sins and not hold grudges against others. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We recognize also that we are in a battle. We make our appeal to his divine aid because we are aware that we are vulnerable in the fight and lead us not into temptation. Next, Jesus gives us some humorous parables that encourage us to persist in prayer with our requests for the needs of others. We may be tempted to look upon our prayers as inconvenient intrusions upon God, but even in our own life experiences, we know that people give in to petitions for no other reason other than to get them off our backs. Fathers who... Jesus reminds us, are sinful at heart, still know how to give their children their legitimate requests for food. How much more, Jesus says, will our Heavenly Father, who is not sinful at heart, give us the more noble requests of and through the Holy Spirit? Now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 76. And reading Psalm 76 today is our brother Ben Harris. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment, to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts. To him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. Thank you, Ben. There's a lot there to consider. And one thing that strikes me is verse 10 of Psalm 76. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. The NASB says the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath you will gird yourself. This is a reminder that God's sovereign grace can use any situation, even the stubborn rebellion of men, for his glorious purposes. He uses Satan's hatred, which inspired men to put Jesus to death, as the very means of bringing about the resounding victory of our salvation to the praise of the glory of his grace. In the book of Esther, he uses the hatred of Haman and his plans to exterminate Mordecai and the Jews to be the means of his own destruction. He's hung on the very gallows he designed for Mordecai. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, we read, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this encourages us when we are baffled by situations or buffeted by our enemies. God is in control, and we know that God works together with those who love him and are the called in everything according to his good purpose. What a good God he is. Now for today's proverb. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 through 17. 
The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. When we get to reading the book of Judges, we will see that during the reign of the judges, Israel did what was right in their own eyes and suffered for it. They see no need to heed godly counsel. Not only are fools infatuated with their own opinions, they will take no time to express them, often in a flare-up of anger. A sensible person will overlook an insult and not seek to retaliate. He will speak the truth and do so at the right time. He can be counted on for an honest testimony, whereas a false witness can be counted on to practice deceit. Now let's conclude our time of Bible reading and meditation with prayer. Almighty, all-knowing, holy God, we praise you for authoring this plan of salvation. The vastness of your love, its height, its depth, its length, and its breadth is made known in the substitutionary work of your perfect Son, who willingly laid down his life to become a curse for us, that we might receive the promised blessing. We are so grateful, Father. We marvel at the wisdom of the cross, where your predetermined plan reversed the curse and raised to life repentant sinners who look to your Son. We pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to enlighten our hearts' apprehension of your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before you go, I want to congratulate you once again coming this far. We're one quarter of the way through the Bible, and we're getting a vocabulary of God's plan of redemption so that we can understand uh, the glory of Christ and all that He has done. I encourage you to keep on keeping on, invite other people to join you on this adventure, and we'll see you tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at newlife.org or visit our website, newlife.org. Thank you and God bless you.